in Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations, recently known as Victoria, BC, Canada. I am thrilled to welcome back to the podcast, Nicholas Pearson. Longtime listeners will remember him from episode 158, Beyond Crystal Basics. Nicholas is an author, healer, and teacher, and today we're talking about flower essences and how they could be so safe and yet still so effective, and how to work with them if you're new to this or, or not very familiar with botanicals, um, and just discovering this as a healing modality or a ritual tool. And also, he's going to tell us about some really unique methods that honestly, I haven't seen anywhere else. Nicholas is such a thorough researcher that I could just listen to him for hours. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Nicholas, it is so great to have you back on the show. Thank you for accepting another invitation. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you about Flower Essences from the Witch's Garden, Plant Spirits in Magical Herbalism. What number of book is this of yours now? Seven, if I can count. Wow. Seven books. That's amazing. Well, good job. Well done. Okay. For folks uh, who are new to your work, they don't know that you've already been on the show before for your book, Crystal Basics. Um, Why don't you remind us what identities do you lead with? Well, I use he, him pronouns, identify as a a queer person, and I really love rocks. It turns out I also really love flowers. So we get to have a a little bit of a different conversation this time around. But if I have to like self-describe my my life's work, um, I am a a learner perennially. I'm a, a student and researcher. I'm a really passionate educator, which is born out of that love for learning. And that often translates to wanting to write things down so I can reach my audience, which results in me also being a a writer and author. Mm. I love that you use the word perennial and we're talking about plants. (laughs) For some reason, that just like charmed me. It's like, oh, Uh, yeah, that's like a nice lens to, to think of you through. So tell me about the first time you had a deep healing encounter, maybe with a botanical or maybe it was with a flower essence. But I'm just curious, like, what was the catalyzing moment? Um, How did it work its magic? And how were you impacted by that? Oh, what a great question. So I feel like there are really two answers to this. There's like the first time I felt the enchantment of the green realm. And then there was also like my first time experiencing flower essences, because Mm -hmm. the first time I took them, I didn't really understand them well. Um, But as a small kid, my my fascination with nature kind of spilled over into all areas. It wasn't just rocks, but it was a lot of rocks. <laughs> uh, my grandmother was an avid gardener, and if it didn't produce extraordinary flowers, she pretty much wasn't interested. Something mm-hmm. about the inflorescence had to be show-stopping, whether it was small flowers with a big scent or giant showy blooms or just this unimaginable kind of color. So she always grew things like gardenia and citrus and some roses. And she was a really big fan of Tipicina or princess flower and um, bird of paradise. So I can 
can I can remember all of these elements from her garden. And by the time I was a, a teenager and kind of beginning to explore um, the occult and magic and Wicca and witchcraft and paganism, I, I kind of stumbled into the idea of magical herbalism. And my father humored me and let me have my own kind of like little tiny herb garden um, at the townhouse that I grew up in. But it was probably on a trip to what must be the world's most microscopic park in my hometown called <laughs> Menninger Park. It's named after a gentleman who was famous for his collection of flowering trees. And um, he kind of brought them all over my hometown of Stewart, Florida. And there's this little teeny park on a little corner in the downtown area. And my grandmother loved it there. And we spent many an afternoon just visiting. It's not very big, so you don't visit for very long, but to see all of these tall, tall trees just covered in blooms, there was something really magical. And at first I was too young to understand that maybe most places in the world aren't so lucky to have so many flowering trees that flower for so long out of the year mm. um, because I'm kind of spoiled. You know, I grew up in a state whose name actually means the flowered one, La Florida <laughs> in Spanish. So, I mean, flowers are just every day part of our experience. But as I've gotten older, I still have these really vivid flashbacks to seeing like the, um, the golden trumpet or golden shower trees and um, all these other beautiful things and Southern Magnolia. And there's mm. just this stillness in my heart, this joy that wells up when I think of those things or when I meet the same plant spirits out in the world around me. Mm. Um, but the first time I really felt flower essences I was kind of divorced from that. I'd switched gears. I was getting ready to um, go away to university to study music education and do something very different with my life. And it was a really kind of stressful phase, as it is for everybody. I'm not special in that way. I mean, going to school for the first time, away from home, trying to figure out your life when you are ill-equipped and underage to really make those kinds of long, <laughs> lived decisions, um, none of which stuck for me. And <laughs> Um, the owner of the local metaphysical store, uh, Rita, Rita Truax offered me a bottle of the, the Bach flower remedies mm. and I consented not really knowing what they were. So we sat down we had a little interview and she mixed up a little, um, dropper bottle for me and uh, advised me how to take it. And I was super skeptical. I didn't really understand what the therapeutic mechanism was, you know, as, as a flower essence lover of many years now, it turns out nobody really understands what the therapeutic <laughs> mechanism is, but I didn't really know what was in that bottle. And um, the short version is that um, peace and magic were in that bottle. And mm -hmm. I could take that when I felt the very familiar flare of anxiety or panic or, you know, the overwhelm of stress and transition coming up and I could come back to center and it wasn't an instantaneous and, permanent kind of coming back to center, but it gave me the tools I needed to establish better boundaries and get a better grip on that kind of big life change. And for many years, every time I'd see her on uh, school breaks, we'd mix up some new dropper bottles until eventually she would just hand me the checklist and say, okay, let me know what you need. And um, I kind of fell out of touch with flower essence therapy over the intervening years until I kind of suddenly fell back in touch with it. And kind of found enchantment in the landscape with uh, native wildflowers here in Florida and started mm. making my own essences from them. And 
it was just a, a whole new experience from from that side of the practice versus just receiving that mysterious brown dropper bottle. Wow. Wow. I love that story. I, I'm having like flashbacks to my, my grandmother's garden. And then also, you know, the, the wise women who were like the moms of my friend who was like a hippie and into yoga and angel cards and stuff. He would offer things like that remedies and, and going into the local metaphysical stores and lingering a long time as a young person until, you know, a wise silver haired woman would be like, Hey, what's going on? You should look over here at this. So yeah, that's very relatable in your book. You really emphasize the safety of flower essences. So you said in your story, like I consented, I didn't know what was in it and it worked out. Okay. I love that you said, you know, peace was in the bottle, love all those things, but can you actually explain then as much as we know about how flower essences work and how can they be so safe and yet so effective? So this is kind of the, the million dollar question. What is a flower essence? And, you know, of course I wrote a book, I have a textbook definition, but the real answer is we don't know what a flower essence is. It's really easy to outline what one is not. It is not like a conventional herbal tincture or other remedy. It is not an essential oil in spite of the similarity in its name. It is not a homeopathic remedy, even though because it goes through processes of successive dilution, it bears a passing resemblance to one. They're kind of in a category of substances all their own. And flower essences, we consider them to be really dilute solutions of water and a preservative of our choice. Maybe that is some kind of alcohol or vinegar or um, vegetable glycerin or honey, depending on the maker. And somehow in that water, we have trapped the imprint of the consciousness, the soul, the spark of divinity from that Mm -hmm. flower. And when we take the essence they work like tuning forks and they act as tuning forks that kind of highlight the out of balance state we've chosen to work on. And it's almost as if they demonstrate what that state would be if it were in balance. So, you know, imagine like an old fashioned piano tuner with a set of tuning forks, not a digital tuner. Um, mm-hmm. Rather than telling you how far off pitch you are, you have to listen <laughs> And then adjust the tightness or slack of the string. And what essences do is they, they play the correct pitch. So we can subconsciously or consciously adjust that state. And so it requires frequency. It's not something you like down the whole bottle and your life is magically better. We've got to strike that tuning fork over and over again to know whether or not we've wandered off of the pitch. Yeah. And they, they just act so gently. And since they're vibrational in nature you know they might be considered an information therapy they're not biochemical there are no phytochemicals in there that are acting upon us in in that kind of uh, chemical mechanical kind of way but it's the information carried by that dilute solution that is somehow informing our our psyche our subtle energy field maybe maybe the not so subtle energy field and lots of theories as to exactly what the mechanism is but um, we have an effect that we are still in search of that measurable cause (laughs) for. But the beautiful thing is that because they're not chemical in nature, they don't interact with other things. We can 
uh, take them very safely and not have to worry about them impinging upon whatever else is part of our health and wellness routine. Uh, and you can't take too much of them. You can't take too little of them. So I really enjoy that they are very gentle, but the data out there, and there's a growing body of peer-reviewed, uh, double-blind, controlled studies that show that these remedies, for whatever reason, outperform placebos, even though we can't mm-hmm. demonstrate what actually is in the bottle that affects mm-hmm. that. And I'm sure that's because the thing in the bottle is not a thing, but a pattern we can't measure just yet with science. I'm so glad you brought up placebos because, uh, you know, it's it's a topic as a clinical hypnotherapist um, who has done a fair bit of additional training in um, hypnotherapeutic uh, anesthetic techniques, basically like helping people undertake medical procedures with no or lighter amounts of anesthetic. And, um, and some people will sort of dismiss that and be like, oh, well, that's just the placebo effect. You know, they want it to work. And so it does. But act- And so, you know, you fall down the rabbit hole of like, well, what do we know about placebo and nocebos and things like that. What do we, what do we know about it? And I've kind of come to the place where I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter. Does it like, it it doesn't matter if it's that, oh, it was the environment or it was the um, conditions. And so the, the person's um, mind made it happen or what have you. I'm like, so is there an effect? Did it work? (laughs) Was it, was it good and safe for you? Then then that's great. So I sort of, I don't have that, um, I don't know, that sort of tinge of disdain that comes with like, oh, that's just a placebo. I'm like, well, placebo, you know, that is an effect. Um, And I I worry, I'm just a person who worries a little less about the mechanism than I do about the result. But I'm curious then, you know, since we don't really know, and you're a person who loves to research and, and yet is able to, to seems like also work with the effect. Like, what do you say to people who say, oh, well, that's just a placebo effect. It's not, you know, there's nothing really happening. Well, I mean, first and foremost, for anyone who wants to be a hard skeptic and, you know, take that placebo route, I'm happy to kind of embrace it warmly and say, okay, well, yes. And the placebo effect is repeatable demonstrable, tangible, predictable, and it works. Um, But then also we have a growing number of studies with rich statistically significant data that shows that flower essences perform better than placebos in double-blind studies with multiple variables uh, at play here. So um, while I'm sure the placebo effect is still applicable, we know that it's not merely the placebo effect because it is doing more than just what the placebo is doing. And that, that is a helpful conversation to have, but I'm really grateful that for the most part, the the clientele base, the student group that, that I tend to attract is already kind of in sync with whatever it is I'm (laughs) offering. So I don't have to have too many of those hard conversations, although I'm prepared, I'm willing to to (laughs) and like sit in the uncomfortableness of figuring this out together. Totally great with me. Um, but it's, it's not a conversation I have to have too often, thankfully. Yeah, thankfully. Well, and yeah, I love that it's been shown that they're, they work better than placebo anyway. So, um, so your book provides, really, as always, as I would expect, so much information, such exquisite detail, made me wonder about how much 
was left on the cutting room floor, having like had to edit my own book down thousands of words. I'm like, what isn't in here? That'd be fascinating. That must be so geeky. I love it because um, this is really good. Um, but for beginners, could you just give, which, which your book is definitely good for beginners, but I, I guess I'm just saying that those of us who, who really love depth, it's certainly here. Um, but for beginners, could you give an overview of the categories of, of Bane, Balm, and Tree? Sure. So I can't take credit for this idea because it comes from one of my brilliant teachers, Christopher Penzak, who wrote the foreword to this book. And he wrote a book called um, The Plant Spirit Familiar. And in this book, he, through his own kind of personal gnosis, his own personal subjective spiritual experiences, comes upon this threefold classification for the demeanors of plant spirits. And it relates a lot to the kind of we'll say botanical stuff surrounding them, but at the end of the day, it's still kind of a woo-woo title that we give them. And he considers these three categories to be balms, banes, and trees, who are respectively the sort of nourishing medicines, the the, the medicines of dark twins that kind of deal with the subconscious and the shadow and the, the deep parts of the psyche. And then the trees, on the other hand, act as sort of the, the high priests, the mediators between the realms because of their vertical axis. And as I was beginning to really look at how I wanted to organize the demeanor of flower essences, I thought this model was really useful. And so I, I took what was in the plant spirit familiar and what I've gotten out of taking classes from Christopher and talking to Christopher, um, of course, with his blessing and, and kind of adapted it and took it a little farther. Uh, I have some flower essence training that focuses really heavily on the, the essences that are made specifically from trees. If we look at Dr. Edward Batch's line, um, he mostly likes to focus on the balms, although there are trees and a, a couple of poison plants in there as well. And then I've also taken classes on just poisonous flower essences. And when we kind of look at these things through all those separate lenses, we see that they line up super well. Mm-hmm. So exploring those three kinds of overarching personalities and essence form gives us an idea of how we might choose the kind of plant to match the pattern we're working on. So if we're in a state of depletion or overwhelm, or if there's a a strong, we'll say disruptive emotion, it's not good or bad, it's just disruptive, we might choose something like a balm to give us the sort of nourishing energy to calm things, to kind of soothe the state of being. If instead we want to plumb the depths of the subconscious or work with things like trauma, um, maybe in the more magical kind of setting, work with the underworld energies, then banes are the way to go. And those are going to be things that are traditionally poisonous or maybe super well defended or somehow um, you know consciousness altering. And then finally, the the trees are going to be the most anchoring and stabilizing of the group, but also as the sort of mediators between heaven and earth, they give us the ability to transcend the worlds in our own spiritual kind of journeys too. So looking at how the personalities of those three kinds of tree balm and bane spirits differ as we can also see what the general properties of essences made from them is going to provide for us too. It's, you know, it's such a nice, coherent cosmology to put them in that sort of those categories. I love that because there's a, 
there's an intuitiveness about that because that, of course, I'm thinking now of um, at this time of year where I live, uh, the sweet woodruff is just starting to bloom and we use it for May wine and things like that. And it's, it's one of those like in between ones where um, it, it, it's so sweet and it's so uh, very often connected with like Bridget and healing energies and things like that. Um, and it does smell like when, for folks who are not familiar with Woodruff, when it's dried, it has this very kind of vanilla, freshly mown hay kind of quality, but then you're not really supposed to ingest it too much. It's like, I want to just drink sweet Woodruff tea all the time, but apparently that can make you nauseous, but I don't feel it, but I'm always kind of like, "Mm, how much should I have? Do I really want to put it in like a tea mix for a friend? (laughs) If it's like not really something we should have. So there is a certain level of, um, I think getting to know the, the actual qualities of the, of the, the plant to work with them safely. But what I love about your book is that it's so much about the spirit of it. And you've, you've provided so many ways that people can work really, really safely with them. So that's one of the things that really strikes me about the book. You provide so many wonderful applications that um, some I had never even heard of, like burning essences. I was like, wait a second, what? (laughs) You spend quite a bit of time in the chapter on water. And why, like, what's important about the water? And then suddenly there's this idea of burning the essences. I'd love you to share a bit about that. And then the other one that I thought was very cool was plant spirit bottles, because I make spell jars all the time. And I hadn't, and like, you know, honey pot, honey jars and honey pots and things like that. But I actually hadn't really thought. And maybe it's in like herbalist books and I've just it's not really landed with me before. You know how sometimes you can see things and then, they don't go in and then suddenly you read it in a certain context or time in your life and it fits. But those were just like options I hadn't considered that I cannot wait to try and that I would encourage people who are like maybe nervous about working with plants because they don't feel they have botanical knowledge about being safe. It's like you don't have to ingest them. You have these like other great ideas. Could you could you share a bit about those two, the burning of essences and the plant spirit bottles and like when you might choose to use the essences in those kinds of applications? Absolutely. So I'm so glad you asked this because these were these were kind of weird things that made their way into the book. Um, <laughs> when it comes to burning flower essences, I've I've never seen anyone talk about this. I haven't experienced this in flower essence literature. I haven't really seen it in magical literature. Um, so it was kind of my own invention, and it really kind of started with this uh, practice that we see in we'll say a lot of Afro-Caribbean and African traditional and diasporic traditions where high proof alcohol or uh, an alcohol laden cologne will be burned as a really deep cleansing technique. And I'm sure other traditions do this as well, but where I live in central Florida, I, I see these practices happening. I learn from people who are initiates and, you know, we share techniques and enrich one another's magical spiritual journeys all the time. So I'm kind of familiar with doing this with stuff like Florida water or, you know, really high proof grain alcohol and things. And you can add other botanical ingredients to that. And I thought, well, you know, if you use a pretty neutral alcohol base, 
and then you were to add flower essences to it before you set it aflame, then if I can diffuse essences in a bowl of water or an essential oil diffuser, even though they're not going to add an aroma to the, the space, they do bring their energy to it. And this mm-hmm. is pretty well documented in essence making and essence using circles. What happens if I just add them to fire? So I experimented. And when my results were not so predictable. I experimented some more and more and more. And I I discovered that because essences have this really gentle, watery nature, when we combine them with something that is volatile and fiery and explosive, literally, um, you get a strange kind of alchemy. So not every essence I have found is very well suited to this and not every not every reason we want to work with essences is maybe conducive to setting them on fire. Uh, But things that are themselves either very volatile, maybe some of those more baneful plants, things that have really deep cleansing actions. So maybe even something as humble as lemon flower essence is is really cleansing to the energy field. Garlic is another essence. It's super cleansing. Um, Or those more stabilizing essences like trees, which of course, you know, if we use their timber, they burn really well. Um, vibrationally speaking, the essences also do pretty well in this application. So I would use these if I needed a sudden burst of that essence medicine in my life, or mm. if I wanted a really rapid change in the environment around me. Mm. And I'd say it's still an, an underexplored territory. I'm not out here setting stuff on fire every single week. Um, <laughs> Uh, but maybe I should be. Who knows? Just, just know how every. I know the world is unpredictable and unstable. Maybe we need some fast changes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then, as far as the plant spirit bottles go, um, totems and fetishes and other things are a really intimate part of botanical traditions around the world. And, you know, again, citing Christopher Penzak for planting the seed and in the same book, The Plant Spirit Familiar, he talks about making these kind of uh, familiar bottles where you can house the, the physical components of a plant and also kind of imbue it with the magical qualities of it and harness that when you want. So um, you can do the same kind of thing and, you know, collect a little bit of bark and a little bit of fruit and a little bit of flower and preserve it in, in alcohol. It doesn't have to be a drinkable kind of alcohol because you're not going to consume this, especially if the plant is not consumable. And over the, the life cycle of a plant, you'll be able to collect a little bit of everything. You can't do it all at once because you know new leaves and ripe fruit and withered seeds and fresh flowers don't all cohabit at the same time in most plants, at least. Um, so it's about establishing relationship over time. And what I find is that when you do this and then add the flower essence to it, it really brings it home. It enlivens it in a way that is, uh, I'm going to say, kind of shortcuttier. I know that's not really a word, but it is now. Um, yes, absolutely do the work, establish relationship with the spirit, get to know it, convince it to spend time with you because you're willing to spend time with it. But also if you want to cheat, like add the flower essence because it's like, supercharged with the plant spirits energy already. And Mm -hmm. so some ways that we could work with that are just by building a a plant spirit 
jar or bottle from a single plant, but then also if there's if you make your own essences, maybe just have a fancy bottle or jar that you place a few drops of the mother tincture of every essence you make. No physical mm-hmm. botanicals in there. And it becomes the kind of embodiment of the overlighting architect of all the essences that you connect with. Um, wow. You can also do this if you work with a specific line of essences like the batch flower remedies. If you get a whole kit, get a special bottle that you don't plan to ingest any from, not because it's bad too, just because it's energetically noisy, we'll say, put a <laughs> of every one of them in there. And then that kind of becomes like your, your touchstone for the soul of the whole series and not just a single plant. And so I've done this with a couple and I've done it with the essences that I make myself, which I, I recently poured out to start over because I've, I've let go of some essences and um, I'm going to make a new kind of overlighting Deva plant spirit bottle mm. when the time is right after maybe I make a few more from the Florida wildflowers. How do you know when it's time to let go of a flower essence? Well, sometimes there are really good signs, like stuff grows in it. Um, okay. Yeah. You don't use enough preservative or you don't strain it well enough. You stand the risk that you get slime or mildew or even just too much sediment to be comfortable. I wouldn't I wouldn't want gotcha. to put this in, in anyone's stock bottle or dosage bottle. And then other times like you do enough research and you realize that isn't the species you thought it was. And it's actually horribly invasive and outcompetes the one you thought you were making. And so, um, because I'm really trying to work within the the construct arbitrary though, it may be of, of native Florida wildflowers, or at least naturalized Florida wildflowers. There, there are a few that were lookalikes and I just didn't know enough five, six years ago to know that I, I didn't get the species I thought it was. And mm. It was just time to let go. And I'm, I'm happy right. to do that. And it makes space in the cupboard for me to fill up new jars with new plant spirit allies. Amazing. Oh, I'm just having this thought too of like, you know, maybe there are special places like that park that you and your grandmother went to where you could be making essences from little bits, like a, a whole bunch of them from a park and you could have them separately, but you could also have it together. And that could be like the spirits of that place altogether. You could do that for your home. If you were traveling and you knew you were going to be homesick or you were moving, relocating, you know, or like, I, you know, I think about if only I'd known this when I was, you know, in my early twenties before my grandma sold her home and went into the old age home before she died, right? Like who wouldn't love to have some mother essence from a special garden or something like that? It's like really special. Mm, I love that idea. Okay. I also love, love, love. And this was again, when did this book come out? Cause you know, there are again, books that I'm like, oh yeah, this one just came out in 2022. So I'm like, I honestly swear I didn't look at <laughs> your book when I was <laughs> writing mine. Um, but I love your flying blend, uh, uh, yeah, flying blends and the Sabbath formulas. Mm. Um, I have like an, a flying ointment and just like a very, I don't have, um, you know, formulas for essences, but just like a very small little um, sidebar about essences in the midsummer um, chapter of my book. But I, I just loved your formulas for all of the Wheel of the Year events. Um, And it made me think about something I'm thinking about this year is like, how would apartment dwellers or people who don't have a garden, don't have like a great, um, you know, like they're in the city and they have to go for a long time. um, What if they wanted to create some flower essences, let's say this summer, it's coming up summer. What could they do like on a windowsill 
or, um, you know, to bottle these summer energies where we're all out before we go in. Maybe there's COVID surges in the winter. You want to bottle this amazing time at these different times of the year. Like, how could you do a flying blend or a Sabbath essence just from like your windowsill? Or maybe you have some tips on urban foraging for, for people who don't have like splendor, you know, the splendor of a garden to go to. Right. I mean, you know, first and foremost, there are so many commercially prepared stock bottles that you can create a whole apothecary. I'm a compulsive buyer of things that I like. You can see the books behind me. You can't <laughs> see the bottles that are to my right. Um, <clears throat> but there are, we're just going to say numerous. Let's, let's go <laughs> Number. So, you know, that's one option for you where you can you can kind of build the the set you want and curate the tools you want to blend together. And so a lot of the formulas that are in the book are ones that have come from commercially prepared ones that I just happen to have in my apothecary. Sometimes I have also made the same essence in my garden or some other garden. Uh, with or without permission to be there, or wild spaces <laughs> where permission was not required. Um, <clears throat> but if we really are gung-ho about making our own essences, the, the great news is that even if the traditional method, the kind of what they call the solarizing technique, where you cut flowers and float them in a clear glass bowl full of fresh water under the sun for several hours, even if that's not really accessible to you, or you know that it's going to attract too much attention, there are indirect ways for making flower essences. Um, and they, they really hinge on the relationship that you build with the plant and your ability to kind of hold space to draw that connection to the water itself. So you can have a really discreet looking sealed bottle or jar of water that you're going to place at the base of a plant and you could leave it there for as long as is comfortable or safe. In, in theory, the longer the better, but I also know that's not always feasible. Um, so that's a, a great method. I have used that kind of technique in botanical gardens when I didn't want to cut something or when it was inappropriate to cut something, or even if something's just too toxic to put in my water, but I still want to make an essence. Um, mm. So that's one option for you. And I mean, there are entire lines of flower essences that are made from things like orchids that grow in the Amazon, like 100 150 feet up in the canopy like nobody's climbing up there with a bowl full of water mm. in one hand and scissors <laughs> in the other to cut these orchids to put them in the water they're doing indirect methods and they work mm. really well and again demonstrably we know that they work so mm. those are great ideas to work with like see where the green spaces are look at the cracks in the pavement check out what's happening in that abandoned lot go visit your local botanical garden um, lots of universities have greenhouses and botanical gardens, or at least nice landscaped areas. And um, if you live in a big enough city to have a proper garden, go check it out and, and see what magic you can do kind of surreptitiously. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you can find wild spaces and permission is not needed to cut anything, that's always a great option too. But I'm a big fan of using what you've got available. And, you know, if that's doing the consumer route, like you're just not a go out in nature kind of person, you are not less of a flower essence practitioner. I, I know mm. hundreds of flower essence people who rely on other people to make their remedies and they are mm. excellent practitioners who see results in their lives and lives of their clients. So, you know, you can, you can do this either way. Thank you for that. That's, that's so affirming. So affirming. So let's talk specifics because I was so delighted, just like your book, Crystal Basics, where 
there are stones that you're like, wow, I've either never seen this before, or it's it, they, most authors don't lead with this kind of thing. I was so delighted to see some of my favorite, quote unquote, unsexy plant allies in your directory of 100 flower essences uh, chapter. So namely, the ones that stood out to me are buttercup, Heather and Gorse. These are like very dear to me. And I don't know, I keep joking with like my husband and my neighbors that I'm like, is there just something that happens? You like turn 47 and suddenly Heather is like, just is like, you know, something you like want to grow. And I, like, I live in a city of so much Heather. Everybody else can grow Heather. I've bought Heather for years and tried to make it grow. Everybody will say, I mean, it's such a sick burn when they're like, oh, Heather, it's so easy to grow. And I'm like, it should be, shouldn't it? <laughs> and it's like, no, it's a, another sick burn happened. When I went to the garden store this year, I was like, this is my year. I prepared the bed. The heather is going to grow near my front door this year. I'm like praying over the this spot. We're like making it really nice. I go to the garden center and it's like a boutique, like rare varieties kind of place. And I'm like, hi, do you have any heather in stock? And she kind of looked at me with like this polite smile and was like, no, we tend not to stock Heather. And I was like, oh, really? Why? And she's like, it's pretty common. You might try Canadian Tire, which is like, <laughs> like the Lowe's or Home Depot kind of version. I was like, ouch. Um, like, I love Heather so much. And for some reason, I'm like the only witch who can't grow it. This year is my year and I, I'm going to do my best. But I sort of thought oh, yeah, I should be like maybe communing with and like using the essence of Heather and like just like really adorning my house and my body and just like everything. Like I should just like really commune with Heather on a deeper level. So I was like super happy to see Heather, Gorse, Buttercup, these like very common and not particularly alluring, I guess, for some people or like they're not very flashy. So why did you choose those plants in particular? And what can you tell us about them? Why do you like them? Well, firstly, plants like heather and gorse are among those 38 remedies prepared by Dr. Batch. So they're really accessible. If someone can't go grow the plant, um, those 38 remedies are sold more widely than any other. So I, I didn't want to just make this a book about the Bach remedies. I wanted it to be about kind of flowers at large, but those are two pretty darn enchanting plants. I mean, Heather has so much lore connecting it to the other worlds, to the fairy, to um, all things kind of mystical. And to see a landscape erupt in the blooms of Heather, which I haven't witnessed myself in person yet, um, but to see photographs of it at least, uh, is just really enchanting. And, um, you know, this is a remedy that's kind of in the, the group of what Batch considered the remedies for loneliness. And it is used for people who tend to enjoy the company of others and dislike solitude, but kind of create this self-fulfilling poly- uh, prophecy where they, they distance people by trying maybe too hard to bring them Mm -hmm. into their lives and it gets that burnout. And so they end up alone anyway. So we might take this before we um, get to know someone for the first time to make sure we don't come on too strong. Not that 
coming on strong is a bad thing. Just that if, if we tend to pathologize coming on strong, this is something that helps us find balance. But Heather also, I think has always been for me, a plant spirit that I associate with right timing. Um, I have a, a friend who comes from a small town in the English countryside. And um, for her, she, she learned you know, gardenarian style Wicca back in, in the homeland, so to speak. And she, uses it to just get that that right timing, that right rhythm to things. And there is something about just being able to surrender, whether it's surrendering to whatever the right communication style is going to be, whatever the right approach is for the pitch you've got to give or surrendering to the time of things. So we can kind of get that divine timing to incubate in its own. Mm. And course, course is lovely. Um, those kind of coconut or vanilla scented blooms, but it's so well defended. Um, we use gorse as a remedy for hopelessness when, you know, it's not just a little setback, but we're just, we're done. We are checked mm-hmm. out. Uh, we, we really don't believe there is a positive outcome available to us. So we just cease to even imagine it. And, Gorse is such a resilient plant. We find it growing in places where other things don't thrive, where the soil is too thin or too weak or too, you know, um, nutrient poor. And and yet it's there and it's got these really rigid spines and it forms these mats of spines that kind of hold one another up. It finds a way to support itself when nothing around it can offer support. And that is really the action of the essence. When, when we take that, it, it almost like pricks us awake through those spines, mm-hmm. brings us back into the present moment and says, all right, we can do this. There are resources available. How do we access them? How do we channel our energy in a way that is going to maybe um, turn the light on at the end of the tunnel so we can reorient mm-hmm. ourselves to it and, and start walking toward it? However slowly that's got to be, we can do that. There's a lovely collectivizing energy with gorse. Yes. Like, you know, it's not like a thing that's like stemmy and has one thing. It's like, and isn't it from the pea family? So it's like peas Mm -hmm. in a pod. You like find your people (laughs) and hold each other up. But like, yeah, it's, it's this, the sense of like overwhelm and collective despair. How are we going to get through? Again, it could be pandemic. It could be any kind of global catastrophe i think about climate crisis etc it's like oh this is a good good essence for that i agree and at some point in life we all experience that kind of hopelessness over something and and to know there's this little bottle of mysterious liquid that objectively (laughs) is just probably brandy and water um but somehow in a very subjective way could give us that sense of enlivening our hope re-inspiring mm-hmm. us to believe in it. That's that's just magic. Why why like not? Like you said, it? yeah, the love and peace in the bottle, come on. <laughs> like, why not? Yeah. For sure. And then, you know, Buttercup. I think Buttercup was one of my latest additions to the book. I, I wanted to make it a really nice round number of entries. So I was aiming for 100, give or take, um, initially I thought it might be like 120 or so. Well, initially I was, I was going to do like 50 or 75 and that was very quickly, like <laughs> you weren't going to make that happen. But as the rest of the book kind of took shape and grew, I, I knew I had to keep it to a hundred. So, um, Buttercup made it in part because 
there are a handful of other important flowers that belong to the same family as it. And I started to explore what the ranunculaceae or buttercup family does at that kind of meta level. And I thought, well, it's really silly to talk about this family and not talk about its type genus. So I really ought to Mm. put buttercup in there. And, And that's part of why it ended up in there. As far as working with it, buttercup has this interesting relationship with, um, how we feel about material stuff and how we fit into the world of material stuff. So maybe we are overconfident. We, we use a sense of like false bravado. It can teach us to maybe tone that down and lean into uncertainty, which yields authenticity and sincere connection. Maybe we are underconfident. It helps us feel like we are worthy and deserving of whatever that that thing is that we're striving for. Um, And it, it really helps us explore the full range of the richness of life. Some things will be austere, some will be overflowing, and it's about being able to be present with all of that so we don't get disconnected from the world around us. And it draws out this inner joy, this kind of luminous nature, childlike wonder. I mean, mm-hmm. what what kid hasn't enjoyed the, I mean, what kid who lives proximal to buttercups, at least, hasn't <laughs> enjoyed the way they reflect that bright yellow on us? Yeah, don't you put it under the chin to mm-hmm. see if somebody loves you or something like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so sweet. Yeah, buttercup even, you know, and it's like a term of endearment, right? And there's yeah. there's so many lovely things about it, but I when you describe it in that way, it feels really like ultimately has so much to do with balance and I guess all of the balms do in a way, right? Like mm-hmm. there's something about Okay. And this, this is that watery um, nature of flower essences where it is like, it's going to find its level. It's like such a wonderful way to work with that. Um, yeah. It's just like a wonderful healing process. I, I, I love this book so much, Nicholas. So, so excited that you wrote it. So speaking of joy and inner luminosity and things, the final question, you've already told us about grief and rage. Now I'd like to know where are you finding joy these days? Um, very predictably, it's been in my garden. Uh, so my husband-to-be and I recently moved. Um, we're in a new space and it has much more green space available to us and we we started with like the cute little porch up front and filling it with lots of pots and then some more pots and then even more pots and then stuff (laughs) in the ground next to the pots um with with plants we live in a part of town that is very green we've got access to a free botanical garden and one that you know costs money to get in but not a whole lot of money. So it's worth going as often as we can. And just being in those green spaces is nice. And one, it's kind of like intentional. I've curated this activity because I've got this book launch. And I want to make sure that I'm living and breathing the subject because I'm always living and breathing rocks. And it's one thing to have these little dropper bottles on hand at all times. It's another thing to really commune with the consciousness behind them. So I like Mm -hmm. the accessibility of that, that being in the garden brings, but then like, also I just look at a foxglove in bloom and I erupt in joy. I like, I want to pet it and I want to kiss it and I I want to just be near it at all times. And currently my foxgloves have dropped all their blooms. They have new spikes coming up for another round of inflorescence. So I'm weighted with bated breath. I've got one on each side of the front door. 
And once they bloom again, it's going to be like instant joy. Every morning I will open it and just say good morning to them, sip my tea while I stare at them in awe. And that's, that's like my happy place these days. Oh, wow. I can feel the joy and I can so relate. I know all of us who are gardeners or just flower lovers are at that time of year right now. We're recording in spring. I have my tree lilies that are Mm. just up out of the ground about maybe two feet, some of them, and I split them last year. So now there's probably going to be like a I guess this bed is about 10 or 12 feet and there'll be about 20 tree lilies in the front of my house. These like gorgeous pink, you know, and they scent the whole block. Like when you come walking down the street, you can smell them. And so I know that feeling of waiting with bated breath and every morning being like, (laughs) good morning, everyone. (laughs) What are you doing today? (laughs) So exciting. I'm happy for you that you have that. Congratulations on your new place. And I've seen on uh, Instagram that you're engaged. And so I'm, yeah, I'll be very interested to see what kind of flowers you have that are like blessing your marriage. Anyway, this will be, I hope you'll share (laughs) some details. You know, we're, we're keeping it pretty low key, but we did book a venue that is a conservatory, like a giant greenhouse in a park. So we're going up to the great north to see his family and bringing my family with us and we will be hopefully there for like lilac season lilacs are important to us both they're Stephen's favorite flowers but also i've grown to love them because i love him and um i'm i'm really really excited to see that landscape because that's something i've not witnessed firsthand at, at its height Oh, wow. Well, I'm so excited for you where I am. Lilacs are just coming into bloom. And now when I see, when I smell my lilac, I'll think of the two of you. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and for your wonderful work. Really looking forward to what's coming from you in the future, Nicholas, as always. Thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you to your audience for having me back so soon. a lovely human, hey? You can find flower essences from the witch's garden, plant spirits and magical herbalism by Nicholas Pearson everywhere you get books. And I'm very excited about some of the new offerings Nicholas has uh, announced recently. So there's going to be an expanded pocket version of Crystal Basics with over 450 gemstone listings. And Also, he announced he's co-leading a pilgrimage to Glastonbury in the spring of 2023. They're going to visit sacred wells, stone circles, and ruins. It sounds like it's going to be an amazing tour for some very lucky group. So you can find out more by following Nicholas on Instagram at The Luminous Pearl. Thank you so much for spending time with us here on the Numinous Podcast. As always, I just want to thank the listeners who tune in week in, week out. And I especially want to thank folks who've been with me since 2014. You know who you are. I know who you are. (laughs) I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for sticking with me. And finally, The Spirited Kitchen, Recipes and Rituals for the Wheel of the Year is available for pre-order. I would love it if you would pre-order it. It really helps because then my publisher knows how many books to order in time for Christmas holiday gift giving season. So you can do that also Anywhere you want to buy your books is fine. Until next time, my friends, take care. 